Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. If it's wintry weather where you are, blessings upon you today. If you are um, sopping up after terrible rains, um, blessings upon you today. And if you're in a part of the world listening today um, where the weather isn't really the issue, but there are many other concerns, blessings on you today as well. Um, We do uh, just send out... uh, Real concern this morning for folks cleaning up across across the southeastern United States. A series of tornadoes, um, lots of rain. But in other parts of the country, particularly where you might be listening today, lots and lots of snow. I like the turn of phrase, blizzard-like conditions. Paul Perot, what, 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 you, you drove in this morning. What, yes, what were the blizzard, I did. What were the blizzard-like conditions? Well, you know, what is blizzard like? I mean, it's just either a blizzard or not. I mean, blizzard like. Okay, okay. There is a technical definition Mm. of a blizzard, Mm. a storm lasting for more than three hours and producing Mm. large amounts of snowfall, plus having winds over 35 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So those are the technical definitions the National Weather Service uses for a blizzard. If it's like that, it's going to be kind of similar. <laughs> maybe it's not, it maybe doesn't last three hours, but whatever. I can tell you, we don't have a lot of wind here in the Twin Cities right now, but mm-hmm. the snow is coming down. And yeah, so mm-hmm. for you're, you're nice and safe in Nashville in that mm-hmm. area. I'm, mm-hmm. it was a slow slog into work for me. So yeah. yeah. Well, it was, a, it was an easy trot across the yard. So uh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I know. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Um, good morning to you all, wherever you are, um, however you're listening. Thank you so much. I'm a little jealous of people who are going to get a snow day today. I'll just go ahead and confess it um, and celebrate uh, celebrate with you. Uh, today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Luke's opening chapter, chapter 1. If you haven't read Luke 1 and 2 during this Advent season, please do so. Like, like Just spend some time today in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke. It's a, it's a great place to be um, as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive anew our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wrapped in human flesh and lying in a manger. So today, we come to some of the probably most well-known verses in all of Scripture related to the birth of Jesus. So here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, wait just a minute. I mean, mean, hold the phone. Back up. Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth? She's old. She was considered barren. And she is now six months pregnant. Do you, do you remember that? We we read about that. We talked about that. We talked about her husband, Zachariah, 
um, you know, part of the priestly line and in the order of Abijah and in the in the temple burning incense. And the who appeared to him? Oh, yeah. The angel Gabriel. Mm-hmm. The angel Gabriel is busy, busy um, in this portion of history at this particular appointed time. And the fact that Elizabeth is now noted here to be six months pregnant, that is worthy of a hard pause. And then the next word, the next word is God. When God shows up, get ready because something is about to happen. Something's about to shake loose. I mean, in the beginning, next word, God. And here at the climax of the redemptive narrative, the hinge of all of human history, God. God sent the angel Gabriel. Now, wait just another minute. God sent an angel? Angels are real and have particular characteristics, personalities, and names? Yeah, here's an angel with a name. Now, what do we know about this character? Has he appeared in the story before? And if so, when and where and why and what happened? Gabriel, by my count, makes three formal named appearances in the Bible. There are some unnamed angelic appearances, so we don't know if some of those might be Gabriel as well, but we have three named appearances of Gabriel in the scriptures. And one is right here to Mary. And one was to Zechariah, which we read earlier in Luke chapter 1. But you got to go back to the days of Daniel to hear the first mention of the angel Gabriel. Daniel chapter 8 verse 16 is where you're going to want to start, but you're going to want to read through chapter 10. Yeah, Daniel of Lion's Den fame. Daniel was living in Babylon as a Jew in exile Um, Daniel had been uh, taken there in service of the Babylonian king, and he stayed true to his faith. He gained great favor, became a powerful man who was loyal to God. He had many visions um, of the future. And after one such vision, the angel Gabriel visited him. Gabriel was called upon to explain the meaning of the vision to Daniel, illuminating what was to come. And Gabriel uh, returned at least on one more occasion, that's recorded in Daniel 9, um, was sent in response to Daniel's prayer, and Gabriel came to give him insight and understanding. That's Daniel 9, 22. And it's in this encounter that Gabriel pointed ahead to the anointed one, a name for the Messiah, whom Gabriel then proclaims to Mary in the passage we have before us today, Luke chapter 1. So we'll uh, circle back around and talk a little bit more about Gabriel later. But right now, we're going to turn to a conversation with our friend Ben Johnson, as we do every Thursday morning here on Mornings with Carmen. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson is back. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. All right, so the President of the United States did as was expected um, and has signed the same-sex marriage um bill into law 
Um, the use of the phrase praise God in relationship to that, I find troubling. You have written about it at WashingtonStand.com. Could you read us in on this this morning? Yeah, there were a couple of instances during the signing ceremony on Tuesday afternoon. It took place at 3.30 on the South Lawn at the White House, and uh, there were about 5,000 people in attendance. Uh, Obviously, any time that you pass a bill, especially uh, a first bill that is dealing with the topic, uh, it's going to be a a celebratory mood. But um, the, the issue here is, as you said, that there were there were several people who essentially looked at this as a, a, an opportunity to pass uh, and not only to pass the law, but to uh, celebrate it in some quasi-religious or overtly religious language. One of them is uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, who has spoken several times about his own personal interest in the issue and so forth. And Schumer uh, had several people who were organizers of the bill come to him in September and say there are several Republicans who want to sign on to this and it would be a bipartisan win for you. Instead of just being a partisan wedge issue the way that it began uh, in July, this could be a bipartisan win, but they want to wait until after the midterms. And he said, and I quote, I took a risk. I put my faith in the better angels of human nature and praise God we succeeded. So. Uh, he's he's essentially thanking God for uh, for legalizing same-sex marriage. Right after his speech, Nancy Pelosi came on, and uh, near the end of her speech, she she sort of ended with this almost prayer. Uh, she she had said that this clears the way. This is a sign of freedom that gay marriage equals freedom. She says, "May God continue to bless the United States of America as we continue to expand freedom." And it was clearly intended as an applause line. If you go back and watch the video, it's it's a little cringeworthy moment because she stops expecting applause and nobody applauds. Um, at the White House press briefing before, and of course, Corinne Jean-Pierre usually runs that. But at this particular moment, it was 1980s rocker Cindy Lauper. Uh, and Lauper was brought out onto the stage by Karen Jean-Pierre. And she thanked uh, President Biden for signing. Of course, she was later at the event on the South Lawn. But during this time, after she, she thanked everyone, she clasped her hands together and she closed her eyes and she had a little childlike prayer. She said, bless Joe Biden and all the people who made this, uh, that worked on this. So several people in a row uh, did, uh, did in fact, either directly or indirectly pray to God, thanking them for something that overturns his definition of family. I think um, when we get to the place in any culture where good is considered evil and evil is considered good, where the things that by God's design are turned inside out and upside down, and then there is some sort of varnish or veneer of religiosity placed over them, like those are times, at least in biblical history— um, those are times that tend to stir up the wrath of God. And I I am just increasingly mindful that we have reached um we have reached a day and time in our culture where I mean there there are just so many, I mean, you know, frankly, like genuinely head head scratching things. Um I I don't want to lose hope, certainly not. Um and I don't want to stop applying all that I know of the goodness and the mercy and the redemptive power of God to the days in which I live. But I also look at events like this, and I uh, I have to imagine 
that um, at some level, I mean, this is what's so challenging, Ben. There are some people who view what happened yesterday as a positive, um, a positive thing that they give God credit for. But I'm yes. not sure God wants to take credit for it based on his revealed character and will. Right. Well, it, it's a positive and a negative. The positive is that people still have a yearning for God that can't be extinguished no matter how far we stray from him because he is an inert part of nature. Real God, though? I, like real? Are they really yearning for the real God? Because he can be known and he has revealed himself and they're right. clearly not paying attention to what he has said. That's like, the, the danger. Just, the, the danger is so hard. Making, yeah, it, the danger is idol making in our own image. And that's that's the negative here, which means that everyone who truly preaches the Bible and believes it has to preach the full counsel of God on everything, including this, so that you can tell the genuine from the counterfeit, and that people who really are yearning for God but don't know the difference will be informed. Uh, my people perish for lack of knowledge, so if we equip them with the knowledge, if they perish, at least the watchman on the wall will have said so, and the, the pastor would have spoken out, and uh, their soul will not be required at our hands. Hey, there's some great stuff posted um, right now at WashingtonStand.com. Obviously, Ben's article that we've been discussing, but there's also an article on um, the detransitioner movement, which is surging and worth knowing about. There is a really um, powerful, informative piece on forced abortions in Nigeria. Um, I highly recommend all of those articles to you today. When we come back, um, ben is going to help us um, update our definitions. Apparently, man and woman don't mean what you've always thought they've meant. Well, or maybe they do. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, this is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. Um, all right, Ben. Um, Cambridge, the Cambridge Dictionary has... Um, updated the definition of man and woman. Would you like to read us in on this story? Well, Cambridge Dictionary, of course, associated with the uh, legendary Cambridge University uh, in the UK. We're speaking here particularly about the Cambridge Advanced Learners Dictionary. So uh, this this is a, um, a definitive dictionary, let's say. It's the kind of thing that if you were to pull this tome out, uh, if you had a dispute or anyone had a dispute, in the old days, you would pull out a dictionary like this and it would settle things once and for all. Cambridge University defines the word woman as, and this is a quote now, an adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may not have been said, though they may have been said to have been a different sex at birth. So, and, and the same thing, male is an adult who lives and identifies as male, though they may have said to have been a different sex at birth. So uh, essentially, the Cambridge University Dictionary is saying trans women are women, trans men are men. Uh, that's 
they have gone in on the redefinition of the term. Uh, and this is this is troubling because, as, as we said, often if you were to settle something, you would turn to one of these authorities. These are these are known as reference materials. And if you had any question about any topic, uh, you would go to the reference material and it would say without any question what was what was happening, what what the truth was. Uh, they're not the only ones, though. This uh, this is the same sort of uh, move that has already been made by Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the Oxford Learner Dictionary, and the Collins Dictionary. So there have been several. Uh, matter of fact, a, a friend of mine at uh, FRC the other day was joking around. You can spot them because they're the uh, they're the dictionaries without a spine. But in, in all honesty, uh, simply simply what it means to me is is uh, this troubling idea that for those of us who are Christians, we believe that the truth is unchanging. And for certain definitions of the, the word now, that the truth changes from generation to generation, from iteration to iteration, even though the underlying substance has not changed at all. All that has changed is the political environment that is attempting to redefine those words. So here's where it just feels like we talk out of both sides of our mouths, um, not you and I, but but culturally today, because the United States of America has been working very aggressively at the United Nations to have Iran, the Islamic Republic, removed from the U.N. Commission um, on the Status of Women. I mean, obviously, because I mean, for obvious reasons um, in terms of what's going on in Iran right now. Um, and so the, the U.S. sponsored a motion, um, 29 of 54 countries on the United Nations Economic and Social Council voted um, in favor of the motion. And so Iran has been ejected from this main United Nations body tasked with promoting women's rights. Um, if, if at the UN we know how to advocate on behalf of women and we know how to define it, then um, do, do you see my, do you see the challenge that I'm facing? Like, Apparently, we know what a woman is when we know when we can recognize um, places and spaces and uh, regimes that are stripping women of their dignity. And and yet we we seem to be completely verklempt when it comes to actually defining it in any meaningful way in our own culture. That's an outstanding point, as, as always, because American policy for more than 50 years has been that there has been a discrimination against women proper and that women deserve the same equal standing as men in, uh, in so many things, particularly when it comes to equality before the law and equality of opportunity. Uh, that was part of the civil rights revolution. And uh, it's something that I think that people can, can get on board with. But all of a sudden, not very long down the line, we simply decide that uh, we will redefine the term woman uh, as as we wish, and a lot of the benefits that would have gone to women have been taken away from them. Uh, the benefit of privacy, the benefit of their own spaces, the benefit of their own autonomy in making decisions where they've had to include uh, people who were born as male uh, in, in decision-making councils, making decisions for women, and uh, for female scholarships, female sports, et cetera, et cetera, the idea of women having a space for themselves, sports uh, for their own, institutions of their own, and even such uh, vital institutions as uh, battered women's shelters and things of that sort have been opened up to both biological sexes, usually without consulting women about what they want or what they feel is best for them. So uh, this, this is simply 
a continual part of uh, politicians extending an offer, and then when they fail to follow through, simply redefining the terms so that uh, they, uh, they end up fulfilling what they offer, but uh, not to the people to whom it was offered. Mm. The women suffer, the children suffer as a result. Okay, I'm just going to take a deep breath. Um, ben, as always, thank you. There's a whole lot more going out there um, in uh, going on out there in the world. Um, we are trying to stay well informed, but we're also trying to not fall into despair. So, thank you for being a person who operates out of the joy of salvation and brings the mind of Christ to bear um, on the headline news of the day and helps us to put one foot in front of the other in terms of the discourse of the day related to topics that are often very, very difficult to talk about. So thank you so very much. Thank you for being my conversation partner every week. God bless you. Yeah, and likewise. Well, we'll talk with you next week about a few of your favorite things related to Christmas. How's that sound? Now, that sounds like a few of my favorite things. Uh, yeah, exactly. Start making a list, man. We're going we're gonna to check in with you <laughs> next week on that. All right, that's Ben Johnson. Uh, he is the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. You can see what he's writing and working on at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. What is a bellwether? You got any idea? Do you know what a bellwether is? I know. You might have to Google it. It's not weather spelled like weather outside. It's also not weather spelled like um, whether or not we do something. And we're going to talk with Laurel Gillen um, about the word bellwether, what a bellwether really is. Oh, spoiler alert. It's a kind of sheep. (laughs) I know, I know. You thought it was you thought it was something else, but it it's actually um an agricultural term. If you are a 4-H person or you are um a herder of some kind, then you probably know what a bellwether is. Um we're going to talk about not only a bellwether, but we're going to talk about a bellwether Christmas. God really um I think gave Laurel a particular inspiration uh on this particular front. As a kid, she loved to read um medieval stories and really good fiction. And God has given her a really good fictional story that brings forward uh, a, a portion of Christian history that's really um, uh, misinterpreted often. So we're going to talk about St. Francis. We're going to talk about um, the Christmas crush, the manger scene, and why every single one of us now has one, but for 12 centuries that wasn't true in early Christianity. So we're going to talk about the advent of the Christmas crush, the nativity scene, um, and how all of those things are tied together. The book is fictional, but it's historical, and it's called A Bellwether Christmas. It's a novel, and it's written at a child's level of reading. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is. After all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama. Over 40 voice actors and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to MyFaithRadio.com. Away in 
Do you have a Christmas nativity scene or a Christmas crush? A manger scene set up um, somewhere in your home, on your yard, in your town square? Mm -hmm. What's the advent of that? What is the advent of the Christmas crush, that scene where we gather together the characters of Christmas? Laurel Gillen is joining us now. She's the author of a new Christmas novel for kids. It's also for adults. It's called A Bellwether Christmas. Laurel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's great to be here, Carmen. Away in a manger. That's a lovely song. I love it. Right? So good. So um, A Bellwether, let's start right there. I have shared with folks that um, the weather part of Bellwether is not like the weather outside, and it's not whether or not something comes to pass. What kind of Bellwether is a Bellwether? Well, a Bellwether is kind of like a bell cow, if you know that. Um, Bellwether means Today, it means, you know, an indicator, a leader, like a bellwether stock. But it actually comes from um, uh, sheep herding because a weather was a, was a, a male um, and a male sheep who was not going to be a ram because he lost the equipment. Uh, and uh, he tended to have a bell around him because he tended to be uh, the leader. And that's what a bellwether is. So it's the lead sheep. Um, yes. And this is this is his this is his role in life. This is what he is going to do. And um, and this will be his legacy um, that others will um, follow him and and be safe. So um, you you write a bellwether Christmas, I think, out of your own passion for animals, your own love of animals, your own love of reading as a child. Talk a little bit with us about um, why you wrote this and maybe how it came to be. Well, this came out of uh, three experiences that kind of spanned over 20 years. Um, and then one day, uh, you know, out of the blue, not even thinking about it, the whole idea came to me for the book. So let me just tell you what those were. First, that uh, was over 20 years ago. I took my little grandmother on a trip to central Italy. She'd never been outside the country, always wanted to go there. And we had a great time. But I really fell in love with the uh, the setting uh, in, in Italy. And um I also fell in love with the stories about the early Franciscans in the 13th century. And when I came back home, I started researching that that period of history thinking, this would be a great setting for a book one day, but a book never seemed to materialize. The second experience was um, we adopted our son when he was four and we found out very quickly he had a great affinity for animals. And he started adopting them one by one, first an older horse, then two uh, lambs, and then a wild donkey and her, her newborn foal. So we ended up with all these animals. And of course, I was helping to take care of them. I got to know their personalities, their quirks, and some of the amazing things they could do. And uh, unbeknownst to me, these were my characters. Um, and the, th the third thing is that because I had done so much research, I knew that um, it was actually St. Francis who was responsible for introducing this idea of a living nativity. And mm. that this isn't something that was around, uh, you know, beyond 800 years ago. Uh, so, in fact, it was, it's going to be 800 years next year is the anniversary of the time that he and his brothers uh, set up the first living nativity in a little town called uh, Grecio. And... Uh, it spread like wildfire. Everybody loved the idea, and soon it just became, you know, a normal part of of, uh, of our Christmas celebration. Yeah, it's really fun. Okay, so if you want to know more and you want to connect um, directly with this book, I'm going to send you to faithfultext.com, 
faithfultext.com. The book is A Bellwether Christmas. Laurel Gillen is the author. Talk with us about the influence of St. Francis um, in the 13th century, but maybe the you know ongoing influence he continues to have today. Well, he was just such a, a, a wonderful, larger-than-life uh, character who, who, you know, charming, intelligent, um, passionate, and he just had this, such a great love for uh, n- not just God and other people uh, and the poor in particular, because that's what they were they were uh, oriented toward is helping the poor and being poor themselves. Uh, but he's also had, you know, this great affinity with animals because there are all these stories about um, his, his interacting with them. He's, he, he even preached to uh, to birds and animals seem to to love him and understand him um and he was he was quite he was quite a a a celebrity in his own day um and he really had a big influence on the church uh back then because the church was having you know difficulties and there was there was already there was corruption and uh, there was a lot of seeking after power and wealth which is what uh, you know people did back then and uh here here came uh, Francis and his brothers and they were all about giving your wealth away um so he he was quite and he endures today i i think uh people just uh, love him and i uh was really surprised that a lot of people didn't know about this you know all the things that he you know creative things that he did including uh this coming up with this idea after he'd visited the holy land he actually went to the holy land thinking he's going to i'm going to meet the sultan he's probably going to kill me uh because this was in the middle of the crusades but he gets there and the sultan you know is totally charmed by him and he says, you know what, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to convert, but I'm not going to kill you. And I'm going to let you go all over Jerusalem in that area and see all the sites, which nobody, you know, Christians weren't allowed to do back then. And uh, that's apparently where he got this idea. It's just really, it's extraordinary. Um, we're talking with Laurel Gillum. The book is A Bellwether Christmas. It's a novel. It has wonderful characters. Um, and it also has wonderful woodcuts. Like, I love that you used artistry that's in keeping with the time period. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, there's such a, there's such a excellent fit between the words on the page and the way they're illustrated. Oh, thanks for saying that. You know, I had a, um, when I was thinking about illustrating this book, I'm like, wow, I have to find an illustrator. And then it came to me. I'd, I'd uh, done some magazine work for, uh, I'd been an editor for a science fiction magazine years ago. And I remembered uh, an illustrator from that time. And he was really good, especially with anything that involved historical details. So I contacted Courtney Skinner and um, he, he said, yeah, I'd love to do this project. And he's the one who came up with the idea. He said, you know what, I'm going to do, I want to do kind of a modern take on a medieval woodcut. Um, because when he said medieval woodcuts, I said, oh, that's great. Except sometimes they're a little scary, you know, they're, they're very hard. <laughs> and and he said, you know what, I'm going to make them more, a little more modern, but um, I'm going to use that style. And then he said, and then he came to me and said, I'm going to put medieval borders around them. And when I saw the illustrations, I just blew my mind. I was just, this is so wonderful. And I was, it's, it was just a real blessing to be able to uh, to work with Courtney. So what's so fun is that um, that's true throughout until we get to, um, you know, sort of the postscript chapter. Um, and that's this, you know, introduction specifically to St. Francis. And then that's much more um, lifelike and 
Um, yeah, and it looks much more like a photograph. It's just, it's just, it's so well done. And I really, I appreciate that. Um, we're talking with Laurel Gillen. The book is A Bellwether Christmas. It is a novel. Bart is the main character. Bart's Bart? the lamb. Mm-hmm. Bart's a lamb. Just... He's an orphaned lamb. And he's, uh, he's, he's very impetuous and headstrong. He's always getting into trouble. He's very and bouncy. He really, yeah, he doesn't really feel like he belongs. Yeah, he, he thinks something and then he does it. Um, and he, he really, uh, you know, doesn't feel like he fits in. And then he hears about this mysterious stranger who's been talking to animals. He hears from other animals about him. And this this stranger is talking about things like love and honor and belonging. And when he hears that, he says, oh, I have to meet this man. And of course, there are lots of obstacles in his way. Uh, but he has to do this and he has to do it by Christmas uh, because Christmas is the time when this this uh, new celebration is going to be happening. And it's going to be happening uh, very near his his little village. So um, that's that's how it's set up. And there are a lot of uh, he has, you know, his animal friends and stuff. But um, he is he's the real protagonist of the story. And Bart is uh, named after a, a sheep we have who uh, who. Uh, was named Sir Barton, and uh, he has the exact personality <laughs> that that Sir Barton did. Okay, did Sir Barton live on South Harpeth in Middle Tennessee? <laughs> he did. He did. So this <laughs> that was this one, you don't one of this places. you don't you don't know about me, Laurel. But I drove past your house on South Harpeth like every twice a day. Um, between Kingston Springs and Franklin during a season oh, when wow. I was driving a child to school. Um, and so I I have this deep affection for your farm life that you lived during that period of history. And so I feel like I, I have some context um, for the joy and the love um, that you have for animals. I mean, it's real. It comes through in this book. Um, it just, it's so wonderful. I, I do miss those belted Galloways that used to live down the street. Um, I don't Oh, that have... was such a great, that's a great drive. It's such pretty, it's so pretty over there. And uh, you probably saw the donkeys and, and the horse oh, and yeah. the sheep out there. That's... Oh yeah. <laughs> but yes. A- so you saw, you saw Sir Barton. That's for sure. Uh, that's, that's so that's great. Amazing. Amazing. It's so fun. It's so fun. We're talking with we're talking with Laurel Gillen. The book is A Bellwether Christmas. It is a novel. The best place to find it is Faithful Text, faithfultext.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be right back to talk more with Laurel about Bart and A Bellwether Christmas. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Child in the manger, infant of Mary, came as a stranger, born in a storm. A Bellwether Christmas is um, a new Christmas story, a new novel. Um, it's already won many awards. Uh, 
Laurel Gillen is the author. She's here with us now talking with us about Christmas and animals and um, how the live nativity became an integral part of our Christmas experience and Bart, the <laughs> somewhat, somewhat fictional but not entirely fictional character at the center of all of it. Um, talk with us a little bit more about you because you did a lot of research on St. Francis. Um, you know a lot of stories related to St. Francis. Like I am I, this this idea that you know he talks to animals, um, which obviously comes forward in this story. Sometimes we think of those as like legends or myths, but it he did it like in reality. I mean, you know, on one occasion, um, he actually talked with a wolf. I'd love for you to tell that story and maybe the story of preaching to the larks. Well, the the story of the wolf is is probably one of the most famous ones, and the this is how you know this is how people from the from the time reported it. There was this uh, village called uh, Gubbio in Italy, up up in the mountains, and at, at some point it uh, started being um, harassed by this wolf uh, who'd come down out of the probably out of the Alps or something, and was uh, you know. Uh, attacking the livestock, attacking the people. Uh, they were, it was a big uproar. And um, what happened was Francis came to the town. This was near where he, he roamed. And um, <clears throat> he, he went uh, over and found the wolf and walked up to him. And um, a little, a few minutes later, I gather it was a few minutes later, he, he walks back to the townspeople and with the wolf by his side. And he, tells the townspeople, okay, look, here's the deal. Uh, this wolf is can't uh, uh, find food for itself anymore. It's been injured or something's happened to it and, and you know it can't it can't hunt anymore. And it needs you to uh, you townspeople to feed it. And they're like they're of course flabbergasted and he says, and in return, the wolf has agreed not to harm you anymore or you know attack your livestock or attack you. And um <laughs> this was and, and apparently this this is what happened for the next two or three years for the life of the wolf he would come every every few days and get fed and he never you know he became like the the town pet um and of course this sounds like an, an incredible story and you think well the medieval imagination is taken off again uh but one thing that's very interesting is that in the um mid 1800s they were renovating uh a plaza or next to a church or a main building in in uh, gubbio and they lifted up this large uh stone slab and underneath they found the a skeleton of a very large wolf that was mm. hundreds of years old so um <laughs> you know that that makes you think well maybe this wolf really did exist uh, so <laughs> the, the story of the larks, on the other hand, you know, his, his, fo his followers, his brothers talk about on many occasions, he loved the larks because they reminded him of, of nuns. They were like in their little brown and white, you know, feathers. And he would, uh, sometimes go out to them and preach to them. And, and his brothers say when, when it was said, when he did that, they wouldn't move. They would just sit there and listen to him. And and then until he dismissed them and then they would fly away. Um, and it was also said that on the day he died, um, larks circled the, the building where he was like where he was dying, uh, just as the sun set, that all these larks came down and and uh, and said, quote, said goodbye to him. Um, 
so it, it, there are all kinds of wonderful stories like that in Francis's life. And I think sometimes when you get a personality, a spirit that is so full of love like that, you know, all creatures can can respond to it. That's kind yeah, of my all, all creatures of our God and King. Right. I mean, lift yes, up their yes, voice and, and with us sing. There's all, thing, I mean, all yes. creation exists to serve and to glorify God. And I just love that. Um, I imagine that you and your husband, Michael, talk a lot about science headlines and discoveries and things that are on the edge of the universe because it's, you know, it's so captivating to him and he writes about it so often. Um, so, like, the the most recent science headlines of the day, I just, like, I'm wondering, like, is he, like, giddy that it's possible we're on the edge of um, success in terms of nuclear fusion? I mean, how did he feel about the recent trip around the moon like are these things that you guys talk about in your house because i feel like you're married to this like christian science geek yeah well yes i am <laughs> he he does that pod he does a podcast right now science plus god with dr g uh on access more and yes he you know we talk i i still um I still send him uh, articles when I see them. He he's been traveling, so I haven't gotten to speak to him about the 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 uh, the fusion because uh, you know being a physicist, he's uh, he he knows how difficult that has been uh, that that nut to crack. And if they've cracked it, that's huge. Um, right. And of course, and of course, you know anything having to do with travel. I think he there was some billionaire who was who was you know had a contest recently for people to go up in the. Uh, in mm -hmm. space and my husband my husband saw, he, uh, applied he said why not he uh back when he was a reporter for uh, abc news um right before the uh the the challenger shuttle went up they were talking about sending a, uh, a journalist into space and he was on the short list um mm. and then of course challenger exploded and that was the end of that uh, but uh, he's loved space. This, you know, he grew up as as a kind of a, 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 a Gemini Apollo kid, and uh, that's what really ignited, I think, his his love for science. So, um, yeah, he he's he's always he's always up on what's going on with the with that kind of stuff, and it is fun yeah. to talk about. I was thinking I was thinking about him as I was uh, surveying those science headlines in the last few days. If you're not familiar with Michael Gillen, I would encourage you to familiarize yourself with him. The best place to do that might just be his website, michaelgillen.com. We're talking with his wife, Laurel, today, now a best-selling author of a highly acclaimed book. Uh, it is a novel called A Bellwether Christmas. I think that it's written for children, but it's really also written for adults. It takes It takes us in in such a wonderful way into the story of Christmas. Laurel, I'm wondering if um, maybe there is something about Christmas that you're hoping we could recover? Yes, I I really, you know, so many, one of the things, you know, my husband and I, we love oh, Christmas books, Christmas movies. We just take them all in, but there's so many of them that aren't really about Christmas. They're just kind of set at Christmas time uh, mm -hmm. because you know, the decorations look pretty or something. I don't know, but but this is really about about Christmas and the meaning of, of what, it, what it really means. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that that people will, will will take away first of all a little bit of understanding about where this kind of tradition comes from, um, and and just a little more um, feeling of, of 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 respect for all the uh, the wonders of this world and and the animals we live with. Um, I think it was Francis who said to one time to uh, 
to uh, a friend of his that he wishes that the the emperor at the time would decree that everyone would feed the birds on Christmas Day. And um, that's just kind of the spirit of, of, of this book. Um, and and kind of what I wish for people for Christmas is they just kind of have that sense of wonder about this wonderful creation and uh, and the creatures we share it with. If you're thinking about um, a unique um, way to approach your own sharing of the real meaning of Christmas with others in your community, um, maybe buy a whole box of these and take them with you <laughs> to a church that's having a live nativity and ask people if they really know the story um, and then give them a copy of A Bellwether Christmas. They will not only um, be delighted by just this wonderful novel, but they'll also be introduced to the real meaning of Christmas. And that might be the greatest gift that any of us could give to another person this year. So if you're looking for a way to, you know, reach out gently in your own community, find a church that's having a live nativity, buy a box of a bellwether Christmas um, and take them with you and distribute them to people who are interested in knowing the real story, the real meaning of Christmas. We've been talking with Laurel Gillen. The book is A Bellwether Christmas. Um, remind us again the best place to get it. Well, the best place because with with uh, shipping delays and all that stuff, the best place is the publisher's bookstore, which is faithfultext.com. Faithfultext.com. You should be able to get it by Christmas. And there's 15% off if you go to that website. That's so great. Um, yeah. This yes, is a holiday, yeah. ho- great, great holiday discount. So Laurel, thank you. What a delight um, to connect with you. We have loved it. Thank you for the book. It is beautiful and wonderful. Um, what a wonderful gift this Christmas. Thank you so much, Carmen. And my husband said you were a delight and he was right. <laughs> well, give him give him our love. All right. That's Laurel Gillen. Um, you, you should be reading. You should be reading A Bellwether Christmas, and you should be giving it as well. You can find it at FaithfulText.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Well, today's the day we remember the announcement by the angel Gabriel in the town of Nazareth uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Um, We've been talking about the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, wondering if you have read Gabriel's um, announcements to Daniel. You want to read Daniel 8 through 10 today? Gabriel's um, appearance to Zechariah, we talked about that and the um, the proclamation that his wife Elizabeth, who had been barren, would become pregnant. She's six months pregnant in the text we arrive at today in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, where the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she is going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that what will be born of her, the person will be born of her, will be holy, the Son of the Most High God. Pretty extraordinary stuff. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.